But the, the one thing people tend to realize at moments like this is that they wasted a lot of time when life was normal. Okay, it's not just what they it's not just what they did with their time. It's not just that they spent too much time working or, or compulsively checking email. It's, it's that they they cared about the wrong things. They they regret what they cared about. Their their attention was bound up in petty concerns. That year after year when life was normal. And this is a paradox, of course, because we all know this epiphany is coming. But don't you know this is coming? Don't you know that there's going to come a day when you'll be sick or someone close to you will die and you'll look back on the kinds of things that captured your attention? Because even if you live to be a hundred, there's just not that many days in life. The, the most important question for us is how can we truly be fulfilled in life? How, how can we create lives that are truly worth living given that these lives come to an end? Good morning and welcome to Story Online. Can you think of a time when you were really, truly happy? I can think of many occasions and even entire seasons of life like that. One was my senior year at Calvin College. I was living in Chi 37 and my roommates were great. I loved school. I was doing young life. I was preparing to be a teacher. Life was good. Life was amazing. And I actually remember vividly going to bed every night and asking God to please help me remember this time of life because even at that age I knew that this couldn't last like the circumstances of life can't always be this good this pleasant this comfortable this enjoyable not for forever and I was of course very right about that now I'm not complaining relative to most of the people who have lived on this planet certainly the circumstances of my life are in the top tenth of one percent Still, I've had a fair share of difficult moments and hard seasons and even tragic loss, like all of us. It seems to me that many of us are thinking about things like this right now, like our own happiness, or maybe the lack thereof. How difficult and complicated life has become in what already has been a complicated and difficult world. Maybe you find yourself longing for a simpler season, one with better circumstances, a happier time in life. If you are, if that's you, then you should know you're not alone. C.S. Lewis writes at length about this in his brilliant essay, The Weight of Glory. Listen to how he describes this. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you, the secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia, the secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it. Wordsworth identified it with certain moments in his own past, but that is a cheat. 
If Wordsworth had gone back to those moments in the past, he would not have found the thing itself, but only the reminder of it. What he remembered would turn out itself to be a remembering. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. I love that passage so much, and it has always inspired me and haunted me. I know deep in my soul what he's talking about, and maybe you do too. And it's especially true, poignant, and I hope comforting in moments like this when so much of what can give us fleeting moments of comfort and pleasure and happiness has been stripped away that we are reminded of this reminder, the scent of the flower, the echo of the tune, the news from a country we have never yet visited, but somehow know this is the place where we belong and we are loved. Teddy told me that in Greek, nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart, far more powerful than memory alone. This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. backwards and forwards it takes us to a place where we ache to go again it's not called the wheel it's called the carousel Just travel the way a child travels. Around and around, and back home again. To a place where we know we are loved. talk a little bit this morning about this place where we know we are loved, this place of true happiness and joy. 
writing to some very early followers of Jesus who were in some very, very difficult circumstances. And without going into the gory details, just suffice it to say, much worse than what we're going through right now. The Apostle Paul said this in, the, in what we now call the book of Romans. He wrote this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed on us. For in this hope we were saved. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I'd like to try and encourage us and myself this morning to wait patiently, to yearn expectantly, to long with hope, pray without ceasing, and to, most of all, to continue to love without reservation, even in these difficult circumstances we find ourselves in, because of, through the strength of, the hope we can have in the love and grace of God. And I think we can find all of that and more in these words from Lewis, and especially in this passage we just read from Romans. When my wife and I first got married, there were a lot of surprises. So first of all, she, came, she claimed to be a morning person. And I made the mistake of taking that in the normal way, as in she got up early and liked mornings. And she meant it more like literally, like most days I get up before noon. Surprise. <laughs> so there was also this little detail that she left out about being a sleep talker and walker. But you know what? All that interrupted sleep actually was great practice for when we had children. But the real surprise, the one that to this day we can't quite get past, is our ongoing thermostat war. And this is what I've discovered about Lisa. A huge part of what temperature feels good to her inside is determined by what it feels like outside. So 67 feels great if it's 97 outside. But if it's 37 outside, then 67 is freezing all of a sudden. So Lisa wants to run around in a parka in our house in July and her bathing suit in January. And guess what? The electric bill comes, surprise. But isn't that how life is for all of us? I mean, our outer circumstances so often determine our inner temperature, our state of being, our state of mind, our, our mood, the way we experience all of life. And what Paul is telling us is, this is no way to live. At best, it will only work for short periods of time. And, and even then, the worry and anxiety that we have about doing everything we can to keep the temperature in our life just right will often even ruin the days when the temperature is right. Hannah Arendt put it well. She said, the trouble with human happiness is that it is constantly beset by fear. This possibility of losing what, what we love, what we long for, hangs over happiness like a cloud. We are haunted by losing. Fearlessness is what love really seeks. What love hopes to find is a beloved who could never be lost. We all have some sense, I think, that, that living in the grace of God is supposed to provide this kind of fearlessness, this relentless joy. 
that, that should be able to coexist in even the hardest and most difficult situations. And the Bible actually talks about this all the time. When Jesus prayed for his followers, he asked God to give them the full measure of his joy. At one point, Jesus says to his disciples, men who he knows will be arrested, beaten, and eventually one day put to death for their faith in him. He says, you will rejoice and no one will be able to take away your joy. I don't know about you, but in times like this, it makes me wonder do I have that kind of joy? Is that the kind of happiness that I have? Well, that is what this passage in Romans 8 from the Apostle Paul is all about. It's living in a broken world with relentless joy. Paul is saying, if we will trust in what he's trying to tell us, we'll find the promise of God is this. Our bad things turn out for good our good things can never be lost, and our best things are yet to come. So let's look at all three of those real quickly. The first thing to notice in this passage is that all things happen to everyone, even to people who believe in God, even to followers of Jesus. Our circumstances are no better than anyone else's. Now, I know that flies in the face of what so many teachers and preachers like explicitly say, you know, they say, if, if you believe the right way, if you believe the, uh, these things, then nothing but good will ever come your way. And unfortunately, many people who believe uh, and follow Jesus implicitly believe this, that, you know, if I love God and serve God, hard, bad, terrible things won't happen to me. And like, by and large, my circumstances will be better than those who don't believe. And that just isn't true. There's no place for that in the Bible at all. In fact, Paul, in this very letter that I read from, asks a little bit later, just another paragraph down, he says, what can separate us from the love of God? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, danger, sword? No. Well, why does he need to ask that question? It's because all of this could happen to anyone, even people who believe. To follow Jesus is to lose this sugary, sentimental idea that things ought to go right and smooth, easy, be comfortable, pleasurable, and fair. Like that's the default setting of the world and life. It's not, and we all know it's not. Things fall apart. That's the norm. And when they don't, it's a gift. That's what Paul's trying to say. When things go well, if you have someone to hug and someone to hug you, if you are healthy, if you are secure, if you live in peace with justice, that is God intervening on your behalf to hold back the forces of disease, decay, disruption, and death. However, this is the promise. Though bad things can and will happen in our lives, they also can work for good. The promise is not that believers have better circumstances. That isn't it. It also isn't saying that bad things are really actually good things. It's not saying that at all. When Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus, his friend who had just died just a couple days before, the Bible says that Jesus wept. He was sad and he was angry. 
because it was actually really, truly a bad thing. He didn't stroll into that cemetery like winking at people, like don't cry, don't fear, don't be sad or mad. This is really a good thing, like watch this. The way of Jesus is not magical thinking. It isn't sugary promises that every cloud has a silver lining or some religious mumbo jumbo about blessings in disguise. No, if you've had real tragedy, heartbreak in your life, maybe you've seen good come out of it, but you'd never just say it was a blessing in disguise. Our family has seen great good miracles come out of the death of our daughter. But I would never, ever describe her death as some kind of blessing in disguise. 13 years later, it is still just as tragic and awful. This year, all the seniors in high school, of course, were mourning the loss of their prom and graduation. And I felt bad for them. I really did. But I have to tell you that every single time someone mentioned one of these losses, I found myself wishing that Emily, who would have been a senior this year, was alive and healthy and getting to miss out on all these same things. The promise of God is not that we won't experience bad things. Anyone telling you that is selling you something and it won't be long before they ask for your money. The promise of Jesus and his gospel of grace is that when we surrender to it, living in grace and living out grace, our truly, really, actually bad things can be used for good, for our good, for the good of others. Which brings us to this second idea, which is, what is that good? What, what exactly is the good that can't be lost? And again, this is not magic. This isn't saying, oh, you didn't get to marry the girl you wanted. There's a better one out there for you. Or you didn't get the into the school you wanted. Or you didn't get the job you wanted. And that means there's a better one. That's magical and wishful thinking. This is not a fairy tale that Jesus is inviting us into. Yes, Sometimes we do look back and thank God for unanswered prayers. Like we realize what we wanted, our first choice wasn't the best or the right one because there was something better out there for us. But all of that is still about circumstances. And this promise that Paul is trying to get us to trust in, to give us this relentless joy, has nothing to do with circumstances. Look, the promise of God in his gospel of grace is not about better circumstances. The promise is a better life. Jesus did not suffer so that we will not suffer. He suffered so that when we suffer, we'll become like him. And that is our good. The real good in life is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus and to want that, to desperately long for it, to celebrate it with everything we have because 
we see Jesus and the life he lived and his character, and we want to see his life in ours, his character in us, and his mission as our meaning. And when that is happening in and through us, we realize our true, real, lasting, ultimate good can never be lost, no matter the circumstance, because God will use every circumstance for our transformation into Christ-likeness. What profound happiness and sustaining joy this can begin to cultivate in our lives when we cling to that promise. And finally, the last part of this promise is to live in God's grace and to live with this mission. To live it out means we live in the hope and the happiness, the fearlessness and joy that our best things are yet to come. If we understand what is to come, we can get through anything and everything. In the unbelievably fantastic novel, The Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky, the author, says this through his, one of his main characters, Ivan. I believe suffering will be healed and made up for in the world's finale at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. You know, this week, Storyline suffered a terrible tragedy when John Moreau, the son of Lindsay and Sue, passed away after a short illness. John was just 35 years old and a wonderful, amazing guy. I'd known him since high school. He was a student of mine. I coached him on, a bas- on the basketball team. Just can't see enough good things about John. It's a tragic loss. I think words like these from Dostoevsky may sound like they fall flat, or they may, they may sound like cold comfort theoretically when we stand outside of that tragedy, but, but I can promise you in real life, they aren't. When we learned that our daughter's illness was terminal, I remember just a couple of things about that moment. And one I will never forget is, as clear as day, this thought entered my mind. God, you must be so much better than I thought because this is so terrible, so horrific. What we are about to walk through and face is so awful. There can never be any healing or wholeness again unless you are so much, so much better, more loving and lovely than I have up to this point ever dared to imagine. My belief and hope in that reality that the best is yet to come is what got me through her long illness and passing. It's what keeps me going to this day. And it is, I pray, what will bring Lindsay and Sue comfort and hope as they face the future here and now without John because they know it's not a forever future without him. Because in the world's finale, something so precious comes to pass. 
It's when all sad things come untrue, knowing, trusting that, that the best is yet to come, gives us the courage and strength to rise up and face any and all circumstances with relentless joy. Broken down and tired of living life on a merry-go-round, but you can't find the fighter. But I see it in you, so we go walk it out and move mountains. We go walk it out.
Thank you, Kesia. I love that song so much. Look, making a God out of our present pleasures, out of our comfortable situation, is the worst of all possible ways to live because our soul knows what our minds can only deny with ever-increasing hits of distraction. The present can't last. Pleasures fall apart. And when they do, we disintegrate with them. If the present moment is difficult for you, that doesn't make you bad or weak. It makes you sane. But if you find that it is stripping away your joy, your happiness, that may be a sign that it's time to check in on where your happiness comes from. We should enjoy moments of pleasure and seasons of comfort and flourishing when they come. But we should really be careful that we don't learn to trust in them as our God, as our source, as our goal. The God of the Bible, the God of grace, doesn't promise us better life circumstances. He promises us a better life because he is the only God that dies for us. Jesus did not suffer so that we won't suffer. He suffered so that our suffering may make us like him. People who love to love at any cost because we know and experience and trust with unshakable joy that our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost and the best things are yet to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time and this place and this opportunity to be together even though we're apart. God, we lift up to you the Moreau family. We ask that you would comfort them and be with them in this time of loss. Pray for Sue and Lindsay and Luke and Jamie that they would sense your um, hand on their life that they would um, gain a sense of your hope for the future where everything sad comes untrue. God, I pray that as we walk through this week that you would um, open our eyes to the opportunities to trust in you as the source and goal of our relentless joy. As we log off here this morning, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next weekend is a fifth Sunday, and we were going to do the baptism and baby dedications, and we just decided that um, we couldn't bring enough people together uh, in that kind of proximity in a way to celebrate that in a safe way. And so even though it's a fifth Sunday, we're going to practice fourth and go. So we're, ex we're um, inviting all of Storyline next Sunday morning. Instead of gathering together for a, a gathering online here, we're encouraging you to find ways to go out and love people and be God's hands and feet and broken heart in the world. And so please look for a way to do that. Uh, I miss you guys. Looking forward to being together soon, I hope. God bless. Have a good day.